Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today I'm going to talk about how addiction develops. I'll explain the different stages from trying your first sip of alcohol to being unable to stop drinking even though you want to. I'll talk about my own progression through the stages and a very important memory that's been on my mind recently. So let's dig in. 
I had a memory pop into my head of the very last time I was able to choose not to drink and be okay with it. I'll describe this memory in a bit, but first let's discuss how addiction even develops in the first place. It starts with initiation. This is where you first try drugs or alcohol, curiosity, peer pressure, and the underdevelopment of the prefrontal cortex, which controls decision-making skills, all contribute to trying drugs and alcohol at a younger age. So children and teens are at high risk for entering the initiation stage. The younger the initiation occurs, the more likely the person will develop an addiction. This is because these are critical years for brain development, and substances can change the brain to make it develop in a way that increases the likelihood of becoming addicted to something. Next comes experimentation. People experiment with drugs and alcohol for a variety of reasons, but at this stage the person thinks that they are in control and their experimentation won't lead anywhere. Experimentation then progresses to regular use, where the person has incorporated the substance into their life. Regular use doesn't necessarily mean daily use. It could be just binge drinking on the weekends. This is the point where minor negative consequences and suffering start to show up, like hangovers interfering with work or obligations at home. During regular use, changes to the brain are occurring that make us more reliant on alcohol. A perfect example of this is the changes that occur to GABA, which result in anxiety when we don't have alcohol in our system. So your brain learns that alcohol being present is a normal thing, and it's going to change in a way that balances that out. So as regular use continues, it evolves into problem use. This is where drinking or drug use impacts daily life and the lives of those closest to us. Denial is strong here and we tell ourselves we're in control of what we're doing. Initiation, experimentation, and regular use went by very quickly for me, probably within a few months. By the end of my first year of drinking, I was a daily drinker, and it was having a big impact on my quality of life. The next stage is dependence, and this is where the person is unable to stop drinking or doing drugs without experiencing withdrawal symptoms. It's sad to think that I was in this stage, but most of us are when we quit. Dependence develops in three main ways. Tolerance increases, physical dependence develops where you would experience withdrawal symptoms if you stopped drinking, and psychological dependence, meaning cravings and urges. There are a few different models for addiction. Dr. George Valiant, who is a psychiatrist and Harvard professor, has a model for the development of addiction where he states that you have developed an addiction when these four things are true. Tolerance to alcohol, withdrawal symptoms if you don't drink, inability to control your drinking, and significant impairment in life. My initiation into drinking was when I was 18. My family took a cruise to Bermuda and the drinking age there was 18. I remember hanging out with my brother one night at the club on the ship and I ordered a glass of Merlot. This was my first glass of wine ever and I wouldn't have another for about five years. After I finished the glass, I had a little buzz on and I immediately felt a huge wave of shame. I was so upset and I told my brother that he should never drink and tried to get him to promise me that he wouldn't. He brings this night up from time to time and we laugh about it, but it's actually a really clear indication of my future. 
So after that night, I really didn't drink for a while. And when I was 22, I began experimenting with alcohol. I was in graduate school and everyone drank except for me. We would go out to bars for dinner most nights, so I started ordering one Bud Light because that's what one of my friends ordered. I had no idea what to order or any clue what people did when they drank. After a couple months, I got drunk for the first time at a bar because people kept handing me shots and I didn't understand that alcohol has a delayed effect. I thought if I wasn't drunk in that exact moment, then it was okay to drink more. This would continue to be a problem for the rest of my drinking. That first night that I got drunk was also the first night that I was horribly sick from alcohol. I threw up for hours. After that, the Bud Lights slowly morphed into cocktails or wine, and I became more comfortable with drinking. I remember when I switched from problem use into dependence. So the word dependence probably makes you think of the drinkers who get the shakes or develop severe withdrawal symptoms that require them to be hospitalized. But the severity of the withdrawal isn't stated as a factor here. It's just the presence of withdrawal. There's a spectrum of dependence, but if you physically suffer when you don't drink, then it's because you have developed some dependence on alcohol. By the time I was 23, I was a daily drinker. I had a very stressful job when I was 24, and this is when I really started drinking. I switched from wine to vodka to save money, and halfway through the year, I doubled the amount I was drinking. So that's the tolerance part. I recognized that this wasn't good, and by the end of that year, I was taking steps to reduce my drinking. So here's the memory. This is the last time I was ever able to choose not to drink and be okay with it. I was 24, almost 25, and my husband and I were having a couple over to hang out. We did this a lot, and it would always be a big drinking and partying night. I decided, though, that I didn't want to drink. So I researched mocktails, bought all the ingredients, and prepared it. I made chai tea and poured it into an ice cube tray, froze it overnight, and then had a wine glass with an almond milk concoction. So the idea was for the chai cubes to melt into the drink over time. It was super fancy and I was really proud of myself, so feel free to, to steal that drink idea and improve on it. So it wasn't that I didn't just not drink that night. What I want you guys to really understand is I chose not to drink and I was completely fine with it. So that's the important part here. I didn't have cravings or stress about not drinking. Everyone else was getting drunk around me and it didn't bother me one bit. I was perfectly fine with my mocktail and still having just as much fun. A big part of my drinking story is external pressure. As problem drinkers, we surround ourselves with people who are just like us. I happened to surround myself with mostly normal people who enjoyed binge drinking and drinking very quickly. And these normal people enjoyed letting loose and partying with me, and they didn't realize that I was doing that every day. So they brought my drinking to a whole new level. So this particular night, the other couple who was at my house didn't like that I wasn't drinking for two hours straight. The main topic of conversation was how I wasn't drinking and was lame for it. They pressured me non-stop for hours to drink with everyone, and they even made fun of my mocktail. After hours of this, I was so fed up. I went into the kitchen, grabbed the vodka, and slammed a few shots in a few minutes. 
Even though I got started hours later than everyone else, I very quickly surpassed them. I was drinking at my guests. So drinking at people was something that I did a lot, and it was always a bad time. In my head, I was thinking, how's this? Am I still lame? I wanted the pressure to stop, and I was sick of being made fun of. This was the very last time I was able to be okay with not drinking. After that night, I drank every single day with almost no exception. The only times I didn't drink were when my hangover was so horrible that any alcohol would have made me really ill. I even drank when I was sick with colds. So this evening was my progression from problem use into dependency. After that, I had absolutely no control over my drinking. My tolerance continued to increase, and I had a mental drive to drink. A few months after this night was when I really put serious effort and obsession into learning how to moderate my drinking. Having mocktails was no longer an option in my mind. So I changed over from being okay with having a mocktail to a mocktail absolutely not even being a thing that I thought about. All I thought about was how to have a specific amount of alcohol and no more. This memory makes me really angry because I wonder what would have happened if my guest chose to embrace my mocktail drinking and have a good night anyway. Anger is something that I am struggling a lot with in my sobriety, and I plan to do an episode in the future all about emotional sobriety. Looking back on my drinking, it was a problem from the very first drink I ever had. The intense shame from one glass of wine was a major warning sign that I'm not someone who can drink. I think this is why I moved through the stages so rapidly. It took less than two years for me to move through the experimentation phase to regular use, to problem use, and into dependency. Some of you may have hung out in regular use for 20 years, and then something propelled you into problem use. I think the people I feel the most for is those who are hanging out somewhere between regular use and problem use, and it's never quite bad enough that they have to quit, but they're suffering all the same. Their suffering just doesn't outweigh whatever positives they believe alcohol is bringing to their lives. The American Society of Addiction Medicine defines addiction as a chronic disorder of the brain's reward, memory, and motivation systems that changes an individual's behaviors to focus around seeking and using drugs. The problem with defining addiction is many resources take it to the extreme. Another commonly used definition of addiction is that it's characterized by the person's change in behavior that focus on drug use, even when the negative effects of use are creating consequences in the person's life. These include problems in relationships, trouble keeping up at work or school, financial difficulties, problems with the law, and physical injury due to drug use or risk-taking behaviors during drug use. I use the second definition to justify my drinking for so many years. My drinking never caused problems in relationships. I got my master's degree with a 3.9 GPA when I was 26 and drinking every single day. My husband and I are both scientists, so we're fortunate to not have financial difficulties. I've never been arrested or even pulled over for speeding, and my drinking never caused me any physical harm. 
Since I'm zero for five, it must mean that I don't have a problem with alcohol. Therefore, I don't have to stop drinking. That's how I justified it in my head, and I'm sure many of you did the same. There are varying degrees to addiction, though, and you don't have to be the very worst level to need to get sober. I have even had two separate therapists tell me that I didn't have a drinking problem. They likely compared me to the other problem drinkers they work with or to that second definition about the five characteristics. And they saw that my life appeared to be pretty put together. In April 2018, I had a therapist challenge me to one week sober to see if I had a problem. And when I completed it, we both decided that I don't actually have a problem. So I just continued about my drinking ways. I went to therapy again in the beginning of 2019. I told this therapist about my 90-day challenge to fix my drinking and once I completed it, I told him all about my new drinking plans to moderate. He actually congratulated me. Even though I clearly had drinking rules, he still thought it was great. If someone tells a therapist they're worried they have a drinking problem, it's because they do actually have a drinking problem. People without problems don't ever wonder if they have a drinking problem. We wonder if we have a problem because when we're alone at 3 a.m. hating ourselves, we know without a doubt that we have a problem. But the rest of the time, we try to rationalize it away. I wonder what would have happened for me if one of these therapists said, yeah, you do actually have a problem. We all have the ability to hit society's idea of rock bottom. If I didn't get sober at 29, I would have continued drinking and developing more of a tolerance. This could have led to my husband leaving me, me losing my job, getting a DUI, and a variety of other really horrible things. Fortunately for me, I was able to recognize that I had a serious problem going on and stop. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering if you might have a drinking problem or not, and people in your life are saying, you definitely don't, you're not that bad, I want you to know, if you're wondering, it's because you do have a problem. So that's the end of it. So take that for the truth. So if you're questioning if your drinking is a problem, it's because it's actually a problem. So if you want to go through the same exercise of tracking your drinking through the stages, feel free to reach out and tell me if you have any defining memories like my mocktail memories. I love hearing from my listeners, so don't feel shy about contacting me either through Instagram or in the Sober Powered Facebook group. So I hope you liked this episode and I will talk to you guys next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. 
I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.